This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello, welcome to VOA Africa. Thank you for joining us. I'm Douglas Simpoga, and here's what's coming up. Unfortunately, these incidents are taking place almost every day. Some of the issues the public don't even know about them. That's Mfok Kwimnika, leader of South Africa's Independent Police Union, on reports that police recruited since last June did not undergo background checks. Also, Cyclone Freddy is battering Southern Africa for the second time, and U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken will be in Ethiopia this week. All this and more coming up on African News Tonight. Opposition parties in Cameroon have accused the ruling party of vote-buying in Sunday's Senate elections. Early results show the Cameroonian People's Democratic Movement winning all 70 seats in the poll, which 10 opposition parties contested. Moki Edwin Kinzika reports from Yaoundé. Supporters of the Cameroon People's Democratic Movement, CPDM, sing and celebrate on the streets of Yaoundé that they are winners of the March 12 Senate elections. The CPDM is the party of Cameroon's long-serving leader, 90-year-old Paul Bia. Local media, including state broadcaster CRTV, report that similar celebrations took place in at least nine other towns. Early results from ELECAM, the elections management body, indicate that the CPDM won all 70 seats in Sunday's vote. Elecam says the elections involving 15,000 designated members of the Senate Electoral College were free of glitches across the Central African state. Voters in the restive western regions defied separatist threats and carried out their duties, the body says. Opposition parties say the elections were marred by irregularities. Denise Emilian Atangana is a candidate of the Front de Democrates du Cameroon, or FDC. C'est une honte pour l'image de notre pays, loup en bus qui transporte. Atangana says it was scandalous for the ruling CPDM party to hire bosses to transport all municipal and regional councillors who constitute the electoral college to polling stations. He says the CPDM used threats, bullying, and vote buying to deprive voters of their freedom to make democratic choices. He says while in the buses, officials of the CPDM distributed money and threatened to punish voters who refused the bribe. Atangana said opposition political parties will file petitions with the Constitutional Council to cancel the vote. He said the government and ruling CPDM suffocate democracy by wanting to occupy all elected and appointed government positions. Atangana alleges the polls were marred by low turnout and violence. The opposition says many voters in the volatile northwest and southwest regions did not vote due to threats from separatists who vowed to disrupt the process. Separatists on social media, including WhatsApp and Facebook, say they stopped many electors from voting. About 15,000 councillors in 60 divisions across Cameroon make up the Electoral College. Elecam says more than 97% of electors performed their voting rights. 
The government says it protected all voters and candidates throughout the process. The Territorial Administration Minister Paul Atanganji says the government did not report irregularities that could jeopardize the outcome of the polls. More than 3,000 national and international observers were accredited by the Ministry of Territorial Administration. They travel across the country and we hope that they will produce objective reports on the conduct of this election, which in our opinion was free, transparent and credible. As for now, no major incident has been reported in any of the 58 divisions of the country. The Senate, or Upper House of Parliament, has 100 seats. 70 are elected by the councillors. The other 30 will be appointed by President Bia, who has the power to select opposition members as senators. Moki Edwin Kinzuka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. Most Asian markets fell today as the closure of two regional U.S. banks sparked fears of contagion in the financial sector. The drop follows the collapse Friday of Silicon Valley Bank after running deposits left, in, left it unable to stay afloat. The French news agency AFP says the collapse of the bank, which specializes in financing in the tech sector, came as it announced a stock offering and sale of security to raise cash. Its shares plunged by 60 percent before federal regulators closed it down. The news service notes that the bank's problems increased as the U.S. Federal Reserve's year-long interest rate hikes meant securities it owned lost much of their value. On Sunday, regulators closed another bank, Signature Bank. Reuters says President Biden and his economic team worked with regulators over the weekend to guarantee deposits in both banks. Vice President Kamala Harris will visit, will visit uh, three countries in Africa during the last week of March, Ghana, Tanzania, and Zambia. Hafi says the trip, which kicks off on March 26, is aimed at strengthening U.S. partnerships throughout Africa and advancing security and economic prosperity. According to AP, her agenda will also include promoting democracy, climate change adaptation, women's economic empowerment, and food security. The AP notes that Harris' maternal grandfather worked in one of the countries she's visiting, Zambia. She visited him there as a young girl. The visit by the U.S. first female and black vice president follows earlier trips this year by Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, and First Lady Jill Biden. President Joe Biden is expected to travel to the continent later this year. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken will travel to Ethiopia this week to advance a fragile peace process, the State Department said Friday. Secretary Blinken will also pay the first visit by a top U.S. diplomat to Niger to discuss security cooperation in the Sahel. Blinken will hold talks Wednesday and Thursday in Ethiopia's capital, Addis Ababa, with officials, civil society, and humanitarian groups on the November 2nd deal that halted the two-year war that has killed more people than Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Vice President Kamar Harris also plans to travel to Africa at the end of March. Harris' office says the trip will take her to Ghana, Tanzania, and Zambia. For more on the significance of these high-profile visits to Africa, I reached Piwakule Mnyandu of the Department of African Studies at Howard University.
I wouldn't say it's renewed interest. I would say it's an intensification of an interest that's always been there, but right, but it has become actually more comprehensive. Why has it become? How has it become more comprehensive? Well, if you think about it, just today, I think for the next three days, the Assistant Secretary of State, um, Setterfield for for Education and Cultural Affairs, will be in South Africa. And as you're saying, uh, in a matter of days on the same continent will be the Secretary of State. So it shows that um, the, the US diplomacy has uh, is intensified to a, a point where it's diverse, it's multifaceted, and it takes into consideration certain core issues that are also from the African side. The, earlier, the, the first lady was in Africa, in Kenya and Zambia. Uh, Janet Yellen, the, the Treasury Secretary, was in Africa too earlier on this year. The vice president will be traveling to Africa end of the month. This seems to be intense. Yes, it is. I would say it's been a flurry of activity, actually, in the last year. Yeah, as you're saying, let's look at it. Earlier last month, we had um, the uh, first lady go to Namibia and Kenya. Uh, in February, we had um, Secretary, um, Treasury Secretary Yellen um, go to Zambia, um, amongst other, uh, Zambia, South Africa, and Senegal, I would say. Then um, even earlier, uh, we had uh, Secretary of State in 2021 go to Kenya, Nigeria, Senegal. So in a matter of months, we've seen various U.S. officials as part of this comprehensive, multifaceted intensification of diplomacy. I call it hybrid diplomacy. In other words, it marshals all the assets of um, the U.S. government and by basically and involving as many um, U.S. government officials as possible on, in the cause of U.S. diplomacy. And this is a good thing. Do you read anything in the selection of the countries that are being visited? Of course. We can speculate on these things. Um, there are a lot of things that are taking place right now. I, I would say uh, South Africa will always feature broadly in the list of countries that are visited. But I'd say the last time, uh, the last visit by the Secretary of State, he did uh, make it to South Africa. He did not this time. Well, some people, uh, he's not making it there this time. But guess what? The Treasury Secretary did make it to South Africa. And indeed, uh, we are having an Assistant uh, Secretary of State in South Africa today. So one, South Africa is still quite a very important partner for the U.S both in diplomacy and just of, uh, for bilateral reasons. The other countries, of course, it's a, um, I call this putting out fires type of visit. The one we might say, uh, some people might be mad at this, but it's uh, in Ethiopia. There is, a, unfortunately, a conflict situation taking place there. So this, and then this visit to Kigali and Kinshasa, it's kind of putting out fires in very, very dynamic and unfortunate um, situations that affect human security. That was Piokule Mnyando of the Department of African Studies at Howard University. He spoke with me earlier from Washington. Maritime authorities in Madagascar say 22 migrants died when their boat sank off the country's coast. The government says 47 people secretly took a boat heading to the French territory of Mayotte on Saturday. Search and rescue operations are continuing for two people who remained missing. Reuters says many of those rescued fled for attempting to legally travel to Mayotte. The news comes as rescue crew continue to look for survivors of a ferry that capsized in Gabon last Thursday, killing at least six people with 31 still missing. The French news agency AFP says... 
privately owned Easter Miracle went down in calm waters as it traveled from Libreville to the oil town of Port Gentile. Authorities say they are investigating whether negligence or poor maintenance may have caused the accident. The French news agency AFP reports Angola will send a military unit to the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo after a ceasefire brokered between rebel militia and government troops collapsed. Angola has played a mediator role in the conflict, but the latest ceasefire it negotiated collapsed last week on the same day it was due to take effect. A UN Security Council delegation was in Diara, Congo on a three-day visit as heavy clashes with M23 rebels continued in the east. The delegation met President Felix Shishkede before traveling to Goma on Saturday. The UN peacekeeping mission in the DRC, known as MONUSCO, said the objective of the Council's visit was to assess the security and humanitarian situation in North Kivu. For more on the story in DRC, I reached reporter Jaffa Alcatante. A delegation from the UN Security Council visited Goma and they made two days talking with locals, with IDPs and with authorities. And yesterday before they leave, they did a press conference uh, with journalists in which they answered some questions of Congolese. But unfortunately, all Congolese everywhere we press with them in IDP camps, in different areas, all people was thinking about sanction against Rwanda or about um, many efforts on MONUSCO to fight against the rebels, but they said MONUSCO or UN has not a mandate to fight against a militia. This is a duty of the government of DRC and the FRDC. And meanwhile, we understand there was some some fighting over there around the same time? Yes, fighting still ongoing, even yesterday and the day before. Uh, very close to Goma in Mubambiro, a city which is like 20 kilometers west of Goma. Some rockets landed in civilian neighborhood and some people have been killed and injured. And uh, the ambassador of Gabon to the UN said that UN is in information of everything happened in Congo and a sanction uh, can be an option on Rwanda and militias. Also, the Angolan president has um, promised to send some troops to DRC. What are they coming to do? Yes, uh, Angolan soldiers are coming in Congo, and especially here in Goma and Sake. It's uh, a team of a hot dog team of mechanism of verification. So they, they are coming to, to assess the withdrawal of militias as the communique of Rwanda. Uh, but this thing is not effective as M23 is saying to withdraw, to ceasefire, but they don't themselves uh, respect their decision of ceasefire or the withdrawing. So Angolan are coming, but their time to work is not yet. That was reporter Jafar Alcatante speaking with me from Goma. The South African government is investigating allegations that more than 1,000 police officers were recruited last year without undergoing legally required background checks and other security procedures.
This could mean that criminals have infiltrated the police in a country with some of the highest crimes figure, crime figures in the world. Darren Taylor reports. The latest police statistics show 82 murders and almost 140 rapes a day in South Africa. In June last year, Police Minister Becky Tsele announced 10,000 additional recruits would be trained to go to war against criminals. Former senior police manager Patricia Mashale says the recruitment process that followed was riddled with corruption and absolutely chaotic. In a report to government, she said many of the new officers hit the streets without the necessary instruction because of a shortage of trainers. Mashale claimed the recruitment was hijacked by people she called political appointments in the police. She said these senior police members took bribes from about a thousand prospective trainees who were then selected as recruits. Leader of South Africa's independent police union, Mpo Quinika says these candidates were not vetted and so could be dangerous criminals with badges, as he puts it. Quinika says abuses are happening because the governing African National Congress, the ANC, has politicized the police and is using it to give jobs to friends. In 2022, we employed a very senior officer in the police who has never been at entry level but coming at a level of a lieutenant general to come and fill up the post that other major generals that are in that department could fill. But when that person was already appointed, failed to produce uh, qualifications, how did it happen that that incumbent takes over that position without producing those qualifications? No one knows. He says panels of experienced crime fighters should be deciding appointments in the police, not politicians. The ANC denies it controls police appointments. Trele's office told VOA investigations into the case mentioned by Quinica and others are ongoing. Quinica says he wasn't surprised when he heard about the controversy surrounding the new recruits. That's what happens, he says, when procedures aren't followed. This kind of embarrassment could be avoided if you do it right in the beginning and do the right thing because the criteria is there. But they did not do it. Why didn't they, they do it? Because there's a process. It means someone who have got authority persuaded those that are, were doing the, the appointments to allow that person to gain entry in that place. This is the politics that we're talking about. Quinica says citizens' lives are endangered and the fight against crime compromised when unqualified people are allowed to become officers, whether junior or senior. He says great friction is created when people apparently connected to the ANC are favoured for promotion instead of experienced, highly skilled officers. Quinica gives an example of an officer who recently shot dead two colleagues and himself at a police station. Unfortunately, these incidents are taking place almost every day. Some of the issues the public don't even know about them. But I can tell you, there is so much sick leaves that are taken by police officers today because of the tension that is taking place within the juniors and the senior management in there. And what is so sad about it is the arrogance of some leadership who does wrong things with impunity. Police Minister Trailer says he's tasked a special investigating unit to examine the police recruitment process. 
However, many in the police say it's the minister himself who's pulling strings to make sure his people occupy senior positions in the service. Taylor denies wrongdoing. For VOA News, I'm Darren Taylor in Johannesburg. You're listening to African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpoga in Washington. Ghana increased already high taxes on imported goods this year, making sanitary pads unaffordable to vulnerable women and girls who are then forced to skip school during their periods. Activists are calling for the taxes to be scrapped and also are producing locally made biodegradable pads so girls and women don't miss out on education. Senam Todd reports. Ghana's increased taxes on imported goods passed 40% this year, making sanitary parts unaffordable to many school-age girls and women. School officials say females skip classes during their periods, about 40 days per year, to avoid embarrassment when makeshift parts such as clothes leak. The loss of education can hold girls and women back economically, a cycle known as period poverty. Mary Afrim oversees school health education at the MAEP Basic School in Pong, a town about two hours east of Accra. We have a lot of girls. Mostly our school has the girls population more than the boys. And academically, the girls perform more than the boys. So if these menstrual issues will be picking them away from the classes, it's a major concern. So we need something to be done. The Ghana Girl Guide, a Girl Scout partner, has petitioned the government and parliament since 2019, urging leaders to scrap taxes on sanitary pads. Chief Commissioner Zakia Abdul Wahab says forcing girls to skip class costs Ghana more than the funds received from taxing the pads. As much as they are giving us excuses with the current situation in the economy and all that, I don't think um, that is helping us because the ripple effect of the girl not being able to get the sanitary pad will cause more economic um, issues for the country if we don't address it as early as we can. Ghana's female lawmakers say there is not enough political will to waive taxes on sanitary pads. Lawmaker Abla Jifa Gomeshi says they are waiting for Menstrual Hygiene Day, May 28th, to push the issue. We must sustain the pressure. And I've discussed this with many people. You see, I'm inside and working with those outside. There are some things I can do on the inside, but I need people from outside to help me. The Research and Counseling Foundation for African Migrants, RecFarm, has found another way to address the high cost of imported parts. The aid group makes them locally, out of biodegradable banana fiber, for about half the price for rural school girls and women. But without sponsorship, the increased taxes this year could force them to stop producing. Alfred Mbinglo is the group's executive director. The high cost of uh, materials, especially the imported materials that we have. Like for example, we just upgraded our facility, we got the machine, but then we, the, the materials are, they, they are almost outdated, so we can't use it anymore. And to import them with the tax increments and all of that, we cannot do anything. Supporters say the long-term solution to keep vulnerable girls and women in school is to keep pushing Ghana's lawmakers until they agree to a tax waiver on sanitary parts. Sena Anutod for VOA News, Bon, Ghana. 
And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Douglas Simpoga in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbeo Yaboro, and our engineer, John Redden, thanks for choosing the voice of America.